turn open in your Bibles to the John 14 area. John 15 is where we'll actually start on those. But um, throughout this past year, we've been, we have been looking at focusing on the Christ. And um, this past week's been a, a real fun week <laughs> from the spiritual war side of things. I say fun tongue-in-cheek. War is never fun. And uh, it's amazing. I mean, even coming in this morning, the, the, um, we go to do the, the overhead thing. It works fine in my house. The one from two weeks ago works fine on that computer. But the one I brought in for today doesn't work. Go figure this one out, you know? So, anyways, we go into our, our week of prayer and fasting, and you just kind of wonder what, what the Lord has allowed. I mean, God, Satan has no power over us. And I was joking with some people this morning. It's always nice when you're in this middle of spiritual war, you know what? You're on the winning side. I'm on the winning side. It doesn't matter. I mean, so, um, but it doesn't mean that there isn't going to be times of trial and tribulation that comes in. And so, for you who enjoy that, that video presentation that's up there, today is as to your trial and tribulation. You have to just focus on me. That's a real, anyways. And, and, and my voice is going, which makes it exciting as well. So, this is kind of a really fun thing, you know. Um, so, Marcia said she was all worried about Matthew. Matthew's out in Arkansas someplace. We haven't got a clue for the last week and a half, two weeks or whatever, doing his outdoor leadership stuff. So she's, she's what? You have nursery too. Good, okay. Um, for them, that can be trial and tribulation too. Um, anyways, and so she's all worried about the Job effect here. You know, voices going, everything else is happening. Matt's out in the middle of nowhere, you know. So, so pray for Matt that, and for Marcia that um, Matt's fine. So, but we've been going through this focusing on the Christ, and we started looking at the shadow of Christ and going through the Old Testament, seeing where Christ has, has been revealed throughout the Old Testament um, so that when he, he would come, it would not take everybody by surprise. The pattern was already there. The plan was already established. It, it shouldn't have taken anybody by surprise. It took many of them by surprise, but it shouldn't have. And, you know, the same thing goes for us today. Just to, the fact is Christ is what? He's coming again. And his word has revealed it very clearly. And his word has revealed things that will occur. The, the wars, the rumors of wars, the, the pestilence, the famines, the earthquakes, the, the, the people who are coming proclaiming to be Christ or proclaiming to be prophets of Christ and leading people in untruth. I mean, all these things are going to happen before Christ comes again. And so it shouldn't take them by surprise when he comes back. And we're told in the word of God that he's going to come back how? In the clouds, not on the earth, right? So it, it shouldn't take people by surprise. The, the Bible is very clear, except for the people don't do what? They don't read the Bible, so therefore they don't know the truth. Does that make sense? And so our job is to be that light and to, to reveal the truth. God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Okay, So that's our job, to be that here. Well, we slid then into the ministry of Christ, the ministry of Christ, and we began looking at seven diff- um, I'm sorry, the life of Christ, and we looked at his birth, and then we looked at his youth, and then we began looking at the, his ministry. And in the, the side of the life of Christ, his ministry, we've looked at seven little things that we're looking at within his ministry. We're going into the seventh of those today, and that is the promises of his ministry, the promises. So as Christ was here on the earth, he made promises. In fact, while Christ was on the earth, um, he made a lot of incredible claims, um, claims referring to his messianic nature or his messianic job, but he also made claims referring to his, um, his divine nature, the fact that he was God. And he backed them up with, as we saw earlier, the power of his ministry, the fact that he had power over nature and over demons, over sicknesses, over sin, and all these things that people said to themselves, who can do this but, but God? But one of the greatest claims I think that he made is in Matthew 24, and you can turn it if you want, but you can stay there in John 15. I'll read it for you. Matthew 24, 35, you know the verse. It says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. What was he saying in that passage? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. What's that mean? His word is forever, but what else is going to happen? Heaven and earth is going to what? It's going to pass away. We know that from the book of Revelation. It's going to melt, right? And then there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. But what do we know about his word? It's still there. His testimony, his truth, is beyond the earth. People look at this stuff as being what? This is real. This is firm. This is here. The earth is here forever. You know, we're going to, we're going to live. We're going to die. The earth is going to what? Stay. But God says, no, man. The earth is going to melt. Heaven and earth is going to pass away, but my word will never pass away. 
So when God speaks something, it's truth, and it's what? Everlasting. It's truth that's everlasting. And so as we look at these promises that Christ made, Christ made some pretty incredible um, promises to us. We're going to look at two groupings of them. First of all, we're going to look at those that were what I refer to as immediate promises. Those refer to the, uh, the present future, okay, which when he made them, they were going to happen almost immediately. And then we're going to, next week, Lord willing, we're going to come back, and you can have, you see that on the back side of the sermon note sheet. If you've got the small edition, on the back side it has next week. That's there, okay? So I just want to kind of alleviate any concerns that may be there for you. Um, but all the blanks are there, okay? That We're going to look at the imminent promises and those that are regarding the, the distant future, okay? Um, that we're still looking forward to, okay? And so today we want to look at those immediate promises, the ones that regarded the, the near future, the present future, that he talked about. Well, in John 15, in John 15, let's, let's turn there. And we read part of this in John 14 as well with this morning's Bible reading. But in John 15, I want to get verse 1 for the context, but in verse 7, um, we see a promise that's here that he also shared in our Bible reading in John 14. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every tongue, or every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, then you will ask what you desire, and it what? It shall be done for you. How many of you heard of name it, claim it? Name it, claim it. That means that, because Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I will, I will do it. So all you have to do is pray, and, and you close your prayer with what? In Jesus' name, amen. And see, now, now, now you did the mantra, you, did the, you, you said the hocus pocus just right, you, you said the abracadabra thing, and you, you added it on to, the, you, know, after you, 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 you shined the, the genie's lamp, you know, and then you said, in Jesus' name, and then you expect God to what? Do it, because you said it just right. Well, Jesus gives us the promise, very clearly, that we just read and just quoted, that he would answer our what? Our prayers. But, along with that promise, there were what? There were conditions. There were conditions. And so, what's the first condition that we just read there in verse 7? If you want answered prayer, Jesus has promised to answer your prayer. Okay? I mean, he's promised. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Right? But, verse 7, we have a condition to that. What's the condition? Not just abiding in him, having his word. Ah, having it, say it again, friend. Having his teachings become a part of you. His word is abiding in you, which means, yes, exactly right. That what he taught is becoming a process within you. If you go into the schools of philosophy or, or even sciences and stuff like that, many times people are referred to by their, their teachers. Oh, he's a, he's a Nietzschean, you know? And so if I said if he's a, he's a Nietzschean, what, what was I really telling you? He believes Nietzsche. And now some of you say, who's Nietzsche? Doesn't matter, don't worry about it, okay? Don't, don't Google it, don't read his stuff, you don't want to read his stuff, okay? But on, in, the, in, the, in the side of philosophy, if I said that, and if you understood who Nietzsche was, that would mean something to you. Do you understand? Okay? So if I said to you, oh, he's a Christian, what would it philosophically, mean? He's someone who follows the teachings of Christ, which means that he what? He knows them. He studied them out. So as a Nietzschean was one who read and studied and followed the teachings and the, the philosophies of Nietzsche, so a Christian should be one who has what? Read and studied and followed and knows the philosophies and practices of Christ. The sad thing is, many people like to refer to themselves as Christians, but they're not. They're worldlings. 
You know, there are Augusta Chronicleans, there are Austin Rodians, there, there, uh, who's the the big loudmouth guy? Rush Limbaughites. The Rush Limbaughites. Listen, you know, and I know I'm, I'm, I might be picking on some of your toes, you know, or stepping on some of your toes and, and picking on your favorite characters here, but they need to be. Listen, we need to be Christians. We need to be those who are listening to, reading, studying, and following the philosophies, teachings of Jesus Christ. Because his words are everlasting. And if you want answered prayer in your life, if you really want to understand the power of prayer, then you'll be in his word. And so my, my question to you right off the bat is, how often do you spend time in God's word? I mean, are you reading it daily? Are you seeking to memorize it? Are you seeking to hide in your heart that you will not sin against him? We're going to see some more important parts of this about being in his word and why you give um, prayer in just a moment here. But let's go to... Um, 1 John 3.22, for another one of these conditions here. 1 John 3.22. Now, if it makes you feel any better, I didn't put any of these verses on, the, on the, the overhead, so we would have turned to all these anyway. So That's right. It's exactly right. It's one of our memory verses for this month. Okay, and it says, Whatever we ask... We receive. Stop. Okay. Isn't that awesome? And isn't that how we quote, isn't that how we, we like to memorize verses? You know, verse, part A. I don't want to read part B. I like part A. Part A says, whatever we ask, we what? We receive. And now I'm going to preach on it. Okay. Because I just read you the scripture and now I'm going, to, I'm going to spend the next 45 minutes talking about name and claim it. Because whatever you ask, you shall receive. And, and stuff like that. And you're supposed to read what? Context. <laughs> Okay, yeah, you're not supposed to read the rest of the verse. But what does the rest of the verse say? And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things which are pleasing in his sight. To that we say, ouch. We receive it because we're what? Obeying his commandments. That happens to be a condition. That you're walking obediently. Now, sometimes God, in his mercy and in his grace, does what? Gives us what we don't deserve. Okay? And, and he doesn't give us what we do deserve. But sometimes God answers prayer in spite of me. Do you understand? But sometimes when, when that happens, we just think what? We're doing okay. It's, it's, we're doing okay. And I mean, you know that being a parent with your kids sometimes, you, in your grace, you should have said, no, you can't have that. But, or, you should have said it, but in your grace, you say what? Go ahead. You, you, can, you, can, you can have that snack. You can have that dessert. You can have that whatever it is. And in a child's mind, you remember being a child now, you think what? Ching, ching. <laughs> you know? And so we do that a lot of times with God. We forget to realize that God has these conditions for answered prayer, and we like to just ignore those and think that if I live the life that I want to live, that he still will what? He'll still bless me. And he'll still do what I want him to do. And therefore making ourselves God and him what? Our creation. Okay? And it doesn't happen that way. Turn to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. Say, well, that's the Old Testament. Well, the Old Covenant and New Covenant, they're very consistent with their teachings. Psalm 34, verse 17 says, The righteous cry out, and Yahweh hears and delivers them out of their trouble. Yahweh is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite heart. God puts conditions upon those he hears. Whose prayers did he hear? How do you define righteous? The righteous? Those who are what? They're right with God. That's exactly right. Now we can read that and we can say because of we understand um, that, excuse me, when I'm saved, I received what? The righteousness of Christ was imputed to me, okay? And so we can read that and say, oh, this is the saints, and so therefore he just what? He hears the saints. But I want you to understand, to go back to context, what he's talking to. He's talking to Israel, okay? And so he's saying that within the context of that, though, it's not those who are walking away from the, the plans of God that he's going to hear, because they were all Israel anyway, right? 
but rather it was to be the ones who were doing what? Walking according to his truths. That's who the righteous were back in the Psalms. Okay? Those who are walking according to his ways, those who are walking according to his commands, those who are walking according to his love, if you would, those are the ones who he would listen to. John 14, we read it this morning. Go back to the Bible reading from this morning. John 14. Numerous times in the end of this reading, we read the same thing. Beginning verse 15. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. And then he talks about the giving of the Holy Spirit. We'll come back to that later. If you love me, keep my commandments. Down, drop down to verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Drop down to verse 23, again the words of Jesus. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me, he who does not love me does not keep my words, and the words which you hear is not mine, but the Father who what? The Father who sent me. Now go over to chapter 16. Chapter 16, beginning of verse 23. Again, all, this is all the same context um, of Jesus speaking. Verse 23, it says, In that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Jesus said, the ones who love him, who really honestly love him, okay, the righteous, the ones who, who love him, are going to be who? How, how did he define it? The ones who keep his commandments. But if you're not keeping his commandments, if you have no desire to know them, and you're not keeping them, how did Jesus define you? As one who doesn't love him. We don't want that side of it. But that side of it's there. And so what do we testify to Jesus and to the world and to, our, to, our, to others that are around us? If we seek to walk in disobedience to God. That I really don't, I don't love him. Now you wouldn't say that, but we act that way. Now what's important here though, is in this, this last verse as we read, you know, until now you've asked nothing in my name, asking you will receive it, that your joy may be full, is that, again, we do the name and claim thing, but the second part of this, when we're talking about the, the Christ's promise of answering our prayer, is the tenor of his promise as well. The tenor refers to the, the, um, the course or drift of something, okay? And so, what's the tenor of that? Well, what does he mean, then, if you ask anything in my name, and I will do it? Well, for those of you who are in the military, who have been in the military, you should be able to understand this one. This is pretty simple. Many times when an order is passed down in the military, the commander wasn't there. And so the order was passed down without the commander's signature. But how did the XO do that? He signed it for the commander or in his name. In his name. That's the idea. It's saying that if anybody asks something... According to my desires, according to my will, in my name, how I would have stated it myself, I will what? I will do. You say, where do you get that from? Well, let's turn back to um, 1 John 5. Look at verses 14 and 15. I don't want to go back for 12 just for the, or 11 for the context here. It says, this is the testimony that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in the Son, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And these things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So I want to ask you the question, who is he talking to right now? He's talking to believers. okay? And so he's talking to those who believe in Jesus Christ and he tells them what? You can't lose your salvation. You have eternal life. You can't kill me. You can stop my tent. You can stop my tent from being here on the earth, but you can't kill me. I live inside here. And, and so I will never die. Jesus promised me that in, in John chapter 11, right? We'll talk about that a little bit next week. And so, but, so I'm going to go on living forever and ever and ever and ever. Okay, that's, that's a done deal. So you have that promise that's there. You have that assurance that's there. But look what now it says in verse 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will... He hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we ask of him. Oh, 
Now name and claim it has taken a different twist. I have to ask what? According to his will. According to his desires. And I know it's God's desire for me to have a pink Cadillac. You know, that's silly, isn't it? Now, it, it is a silly color. <laughs> he wants me to have a silver Cadillac? Okay, anyways. So, I went extreme on that. But you understand what I'm saying. The fact is, the, 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 the fact is that so many times when we ask things, it's not according to his will, it's according to our will. And Jesus, in the garden... He prayed, he says, Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, let it be so, right? Nevertheless, what? Not my will, but yours be done. I don't think Jesus was looking forward to getting beaten and spit upon and and whipped. I don't think that he was looking forward to the separation that he was going to have with the Father for that one moment of eternity. But what he wanted more than anything that he wanted, he wanted God's will to be done in his life. And that was his prayer. I mean, think about it. When we read the prayers of Jesus, and we read the prayers of the early church, I challenge you with this. Find me a selfish prayer. Find me somebody praying for themselves, for their clothes, for their homes, for their transportation. It's always about the kingdom of God. It's always about having boldness to proclaim God's truth. Do you honestly, and I'm not picking on you, this is, you know, understand that every time you point your finger, there's three pointing back at you, right? Okay? So, so I understand that. When's the last time you honestly prayed for boldness to proclaim the word of God in the face of persecution? When's the last time you prayed that God would use you gloriously, even if it meant persecution in your life. The early church, after the apostles came back being beaten, rejoiced in God. And the apostles rejoiced that they were kind of worthy of receiving persecution. And they asked God for boldness in the face of the persecution to be able to proclaim his word. And not buckle. Not buckle to the, to the, to the adversary. And you know what happened? The house shook. Power was falling upon them. Because they weren't seeking their own will, but they were seeking God's will. This week we have our week of prayer and fasting. I don't know if you're planning on being a part of it or not. And honestly, don't come because you think it's going to be punching a ticket. I know years ago when we had a previous church I was at, there were some who were concerned that it was a spiritual hierarchy and stuff like that. Listen, your heart's not right if you think it's that anyway. Anyway. It's a time for us as a body to turn around and focus on God. And this is our revival. Some churches say, you know, they're weak, they're revival. And they bring in a speaker. And like, uh, Revival starts in your heart. Revival starts when you, in your, your, your relationship with Jesus Christ. And it may, the word of God may be used to provoke that. But honestly, your word of God is being proclaimed right now to provoke you. Now, I'm not picking, I'm saying, hey, look at me. But I'm saying, if you don't respond to this, you don't need a week of a guy coming in and tickling your ears to make you feel good about God. So you might do something that God wants you to do. You understand? God's word is true. And if the Holy Spirit's within you, you're going to do what he wants you to do. And I want to challenge you, not to make you feel bad if you don't come, but I want to challenge you, this is a week for us to be focusing on the Lord and on his grace. And I'm telling you, I mean, this week has just been nuts for me with the spiritual war. It's just, it's incredible. I mean, even today, I mean, my, my body feels so weak. I mean, I feel so depleted. I don't know why. Uh, Marcia said to me, are you mad? What's going on? Are you upset? No, honey, I'm, I'm, I feel fine. I, I may not seem fine right now, but I, I feel fine. I just, just a spiritual war, man. I just feel depleted. I don't know what's going on other than I just, I don't, I, it's not physical. Even though my voice is going, I know this isn't physical. You know, it's when Job had boils, everybody looked at him and it was what? Physical. But we know hindsight from reading God's word, it wasn't physical. It was, it was spiritual. And so we've got to wake up, smell the coffee, and understand we're in a spiritual war. And that spiritual war is going to be fought through what? Prayer. With prayer. And spiritual means. And so Paul, after he talked about the whole, the whole armor of God, sums it all up saying, and pray always with all prayer and supplication for all the saints. And then he says, and that I may have boldness. And pray for me that I can have boldness. That I can open up my mouth that I, like I ought to open it. Paul. I mean, he was a pretty bold and arrogant kind of guy. 
But he was saying, pray for me. There are times when I what? I don't want to open my mouth up. I don't want to face the persecution. I know what's going to come when I open up my mouth, and I don't want it. So pray that I have boldness to open up my mouth as I ought to open it. And I ought to speak as I ought to speak. We are all a bunch of yellow-bellied chicken livers. And our spines are like wet spaghetti noodles sometimes. But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That's where the strength comes. And if you want the power of prayer in your life and answered prayer, do you know where it comes from? It's from knowing God's word so you can ask things that are according to his will and his way and his word. Psalm 37, verse 4. You all know it. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you desires of your heart. You want name and claim it? It's all there. Name and claim it's there if, if, if you understand the, the, the claim side. If you ask anything in his will, if you ask anything according to his desires, then guess what? You got it. Now, you may not got it in the time that, timing that you want it, but it's going to happen. The tenor of his promise of answering our prayers is that it would be according to the will of himself. What do you think happens? When the commander comes back and he sees these orders that have been signed in his name, <laughs> and he goes, you know, the, the XO said that, you know, in a week and a half from now we're going to have a pizza party, you know, and, and he's going to buy all these pizza. And the commander comes back and looks at the thing and says, what? That ain't happening. And, and then what? Then what happens to the XO? <laughs> he gets slapped. That's right. Whether he gets chopped off or whatever, it depends on how big the, the severity was. I mean, the, the, the order by itself gets what? Tossed. And so we go to the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the name of the Son, right? And so we go to the Father, and we say, Father, I want this. And he turns around to Jesus and says, really? Dad, I, I don't know where you got that thing at. <laughs> it's certainly not from my word. You know, I, I, I ain't got no designs for him to have a pink Cadillac. In fact, I'm, I'm okay with you give him a Reliant K car. You know, he needs transportation, but he doesn't need a pink Cadillac. If he's got four wheels, in fact, listen, you can give that guy a three-wheeler. He's okay with a three-wheeler, you know? You know, just make sure that it'll run. But sometimes we, we think that we what? We deserve so much more. And we pray according to our will, not his. Well, that's his, the first immediate promise that we saw there in John, but... Go back to, to John as well, to John 14. Because as we were reading there, we skipped a couple verses. And I said, we'll come back to it. And now's the part we want to come back to. Because he makes another promise within that same context of saying that um, if we ask anything according to his name, in his name, um, loving him, obeying his commandments, that he'll do those things. But he gave us another promise. And this one, I just, I really rejoice in this promise. He promised that he would send us the Holy Spirit. Look at John 14 again. Start at verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you, how long? Forever. Not until you sin the next time. Forever. He will abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. God said, I'll never leave you, forsake you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And so he promises that it was profitable for us, for him to leave. Can you, can you put yourself in the place of Peter, James, and John in the other twelve? Or 11, anyways, other than Judas. And, and there were other countless disciples who had committed their life to him. There were women who, who were, were giving their, their livelihoods to him as well. And can you imagine how they felt when he left them? Have you ever been in a church, and you don't need to tell me yes or no, have you ever been in a church when there was a pastor that you really appreciated who came in and gave you 
a two-week notice, a three-week notice, or four-week notice, they're, they're leaving. How did you feel? I mean, that's just, that's small. That's just hearing ear stuff. But a lot of times we feel what? We feel forsaken. We feel desolate. We feel like, what are we going to do? You know? Now, magnify that. Uh, eternal size. <laughs> you know? I mean, they don't have just Bob. They don't have just a man. They got God in the flesh. I mean, earlier, Jesus turned to Peter and said, you guys going to leave me too? And Peter said to him, what? Where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. I mean, you know, where, where else are we going to go? And now all of a sudden Jesus is telling him what? I'm ready to go. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. We'll talk about that next week. And so he gives them all these good things, right? And they say, well, just, how do we know the way? He says, man, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but me. Well, but if you just show us the Father, it will suffice us. Man, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Have I been so long with you, and you haven't recognized me? I've been here. But listen, it's profitable for you for me to leave. Because if I go, I will send you the Comforter. That's John 16. He comes back and he talks about it again. It says, I will send you the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. Now, what's the job of the Holy Spirit? Now, in John 16, you can go and check me out on this later. His job is to convict the world of righteousness, judgment, and sin. Okay? So he comes into the world, and he, and he judges the world, and he convicts the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. Okay? But Jesus here makes a specific promise to his disciples and to us as disciples, and that is that when the Holy Spirit would come in this marvelous, miraculous way, what was he going to do? Something that he'd never done before. He was going to indwell the believers. Not just come in and empower them for a moment to do a mighty act, but now he was going to come and he was going to live inside you. And so we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and chapter 6 as well that know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God with your body. You, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've committed your life to him, then you didn't just get salvation. That's kind of cool. But you got God living in you. That's incredible. I mean... Do you ever think about the fact that you, literally you, that tent that's walking around that's you, is the temple of God. The temple doesn't exist today. It's been eradicated. It was destroyed by Rome. No, it wasn't. It was multiplied. It was scattered. And you, being the ambassador of God, the ambassador of Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, are the temple of the living God. That's pretty powerful stuff. Where were the sacrifices supposed to be done? In the temple. And so Paul says in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Why? Because that's where the altar is. You're it. And so, phenomenal promise. The promise of the sending of the Holy Spirit. Well, the first part of that would be that he would indwell us. He would indwell us. What was his job in indwelling us? Well, first of all, here importantly, it is to seal us. Ephesians chapter 1. Turn with me to Ephesians 1. Beginning of verse um, 13 says, In him, that is Christ, you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, which was what? The gospel, the good news of your salvation. In whom also... Having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Do you remember back in the story? I hate to say story because anymore today we say story and people think what? It's fiction, right? This is a true story. This is nonfiction. Do you remember the account of Daniel in the lion's den? You know, it's a little kid's story. Pretty powerful, though, huh? Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. Why? Because he was praying. That was the first promise, right? Answered prayer. He was praying. He believed God, and he believed that 
when he would, he would go before God. And so when the challenge was put out that you can only pray to, to, um, to, Darius, to Darius, he continued to do what he was supposed to do. And so his, his adversaries persecuted him, and they persecuted him to the extreme, in that they were able to get Darius to give him the death sentence, capital punishment, for praying. I mean, just bring it into our terms. He got, he got the death penalty. He was on death row. He was capital punishment for praying. So the next morning, he was thrown into the, the lion's den, right? And you know the story then about the, how the, the, the lion's mouths were closed and he was, he was delivered. But there's a little, little part in there that I want to point to, and that is when they were threw him in there, they put the stone back over the mouth of the den, and what did they do? They sealed it with the king's seal. They would use wax, kind of like cock, if you would, in some manner, okay, to, to hold it closed. And then they would take a signet ring, okay, and they would punch it into the wax. And the only one who was able to open up that seal, who was allowed to by authority, was the one who had a ring, a signet, that would match that was there. Nobody else could open it. Unless they were of this rank or greater. Nobody outranked Darius in the land. So it would stay sealed. That's the idea of the sealing. Jesus, when he died, he was placed into the tomb. And the stone was rolled over that door. And it was what? Sealed. But what happened? He broke out. The stone was rolled away. That meant Rome did it, right? Because only the ones that had the seal could do it. Or a greater authority. That's exactly right. God trumped human authority. Do you get it? Because there is no authority, no power, no ranking that is higher than that which has sealed you. And so when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, God took the Holy Spirit and placed him inside you as a seal. Do you think Satan can come and remove the Holy Spirit from you? People always talk about whether believers can be, can be demon-possessed. No! I'm sorry, I yelled that. Now we can do editing. No, that's so ridiculous! How can a believer be indwelt by the demon when he's already indwelt by the spirit. Now, can a believer be demonized? Oppressed? Yes. We give ourselves over to that all the time. We don't have to, but we do. But he can't come live inside me. Because God's already residing there. And Satan isn't bigger than God. Jesus said, remember about the, the strong man? If you go to, you got to first, what, tie up the strong man and then cast him out and then you can come in? Well, to quote a very theological source, God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's greater than Godzilla and the monsters on TV. Yes, exactly right. You know, veggie tales. Does it get any more accurate than that? Anyways, and, um, there is nothing that can tear you out of his love. There is nothing that can remove you from his hand. Why? Because he sealed you. He's, he sealed you. You are eternally his. That's assuming what? You're his. If you honestly have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's a done deal. That's why in 1 John 5 we read, These things I've written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. You can't kill me. That's why Jesus said to Martha, he says, he that believes, yet he lives, he shall never die, and though he dies, yet shall he live. Do you believe this? Do you honestly believe that? Do you honestly believe that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord? You've been sealed. been sealed. And the only thing that Satan can do to you is what God allows. And if, as I said earlier, that this week has been a matter of spiritual war and, and the struggles that are there, you know, with the CEF club and, um, and 
that DJ who kind of went nutso and, um, you know, it's not flesh and blood. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And I'm on the winning side. And I know that all that has occurred because God has what? Allowed it. Do you get it? And so whatever persecution, trial, whatever comes upon you, you can be delighted in the fact of knowing that God has allowed it in your life because all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And so what Satan and what the evil one and what the world may desire for evil, God has allowed for, for good. He promised he would send the Holy Spirit, first of all, to indwell us, that is to seal us, and secondly, there in John 14 as well, it was so he could instruct us. Instruct us. John 14 again. Go back there as well. Look at verse 25 and 26. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But when the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you what? All things. And bring to your remembrance what? All things that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. Do I give to you? Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Don't be shaken. Don't be anxious. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And He is going to seal you. He's going to protect you. He's going to be watching over you. And you know what He's going to do? He's going to instruct you. He's going to instruct you. He's going to teach you. But you've all been in school different times of your life. There's two sides of the instruction process. There is the instructor and there is the instructee. The instructor can stand up front and he can speak truth or whatever to you all day, but it's all meaningless if what? If the instructee is not listening or doesn't care. And so James 1, 22 to 25 says, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. For he who is a hearer of the word and not a doer. He's like a man who beholds his face in the mirror, the, the glass. He beholds his face in the mirror. He, he beholds himself and goes his way, and straightway he forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deed. In there, there is the, the, um, the man who is the, the hearer only. And he has a, a, a distraction. It's either the the listening distraction or the application distraction. You know, and so this morning, you know, and it's okay with the kids. I don't mean this is rude. But every once in a while, kids, what? Kids make noise here, right? And you're what? And you're distracted by it. Okay? And, 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 and sometimes, you know, we go, oh, man. And then, oh, and then we start thinking about it. And there's an irritant or whatever. And so that's a, that's, a, that's a listening distraction. Something's going on and it's distracting us from what's really being spoken. Satan does that an awful lot. And I don't mean it's about your kids. But anyways, but Satan loves to do that. Okay? I mean, it's amazing to me. Saturday nights and Sunday mornings are some of the worst times in my house. We're getting prepared to go gather with the believers to do what? To worship the Lord and specifically to teach God's Word. Okay? Now, I think it's exciting. My voice is getting better as I'm preaching. Okay? I mean, I've sensed it, you know? And, 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 and God's getting the victory here. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just rejoicing the Lord on this. And, but, but we can be distracted. By so many things. But then there's the application distraction. That is, as I'm hearing something, I say what? Reject, 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 reject. You know? I don't want that. I don't want to hear that. And so we become hearers only. Whether we've read it, whether we've heard it, however it is, we walk out the door and we what? We forget it. You know, I look in the mirror and See, now with the beard, I don't have to worry about so much, right? No matter how I talk to people, I shave. People go, huh? And, Duh, he's still got to shave. And anyway, if I didn't shave, I'd look like one of those the Jewish characters on Fiddler on the Roof, you know, with the hair coming everywhere, okay? So I've got to shave in these parts. In fact, I had to shave way up here today. It was really kind of weird. Anyways, I mean, who gets, who gets hair up by their eyes? I mean, I do. And, you know, and uh, uh, too much information. Sorry. Anyways, and so, and so but what if, what if going into the shower, I looked in the mirror and said to myself, what? Oh, yeah. I mean, I know, I would never say that to myself. Anyways, and, and I thought to myself, you know, well, we got hair everywhere, you know, it's coming out your ears, you know. And, and then I got in the shower and I came out and I said what? 
well, the mirror's foggy now. I'm out, you know? I don't have to see myself, do I? I'm not looking in the mirror anymore. You guys have to deal with this, not me. My wife's got to put up with me the rest of the day. That's right. That's exactly right. Okay? And so, but we act that way with God. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Which means what? You're not deceiving anybody else either. You're deceiving yourself, but you're not deceiving anybody else. Because everybody else can see it. And we think, oh, it's okay. I got away with it. Not always. He sent the Holy Spirit to teach us. To instruct us. To lead us into all truth. One of the sad commentaries, and I had already stated this week on that Facebook exchange with that, that guy. And there was another guy who was weighing in a lot. Um, this is my last post, you know, because I didn't want to continue. I didn't want to carry on. There's, there's no, be no good came from it. I was able to state the position of what happened at the club and leave it at that. But this, somebody else was weighing in, and they were weighing in from the strong fundamentalist side. And that's okay. I, I like the person, but it was very. It, it stirred the pot a little bit more. Okay, and it, should, it didn't need to. Um, and so this guy that I thought I was at least had, a, I might be able to have a dialogue with. You know, and I invited him to dialogue if he ever wanted to dialogue with me. Okay, he was. In, you could tell he was interested in spiritual things because he was making comments about spiritual things, even though he was against them. Still, there must have been an awareness in his heart. He wasn't just, you know, pummel against it. He was making rational comments, but they were still not. He wasn't a believer. You could tell. And um, but he, then he came back after this person was doing this stuff and made a comment about there's no way you can know it all anyway. Because that's why people go to seminary, because they can't learn theology, and so they've got to send them to seminary so they can learn theology, and da-da-da. And you're talking about your kids can't learn. Your kids don't know. There's no way that your kids can understand who Jesus is unless you coerce them and you, you've brainwashed them to become saved. And so they're not going to do that on their own. Okay? That's the whole context of all that stuff. Okay? And so therefore, we even send people to seminary so they can learn all that stuff because you can't learn it all. And, oh, I wanted to jump back in, but I already gave my word saying that I wasn't going to weigh in anymore. You know? But what a tragedy. Folks, we don't need seminaries. We don't need Bible colleges. Now, I know I went to seminary. I know I've got my, my master's of the divinity degree, okay? I understand. There's, there is a purpose for those things at times. But they're not necessities. Jesus promised you that he would give you the gift of the Holy Spirit, who is God himself, to live inside you. You would be the temple of God, <coughs> I'm not supposed to speak this. So he could lead you into all truth. Get off of the bench and get in the game. There are too many people coming to watch the football game and not enough football players. <coughs> well, there's only supposed to be 11 on the side. No, when you go out there, that football team has what? They got a whole sideline full. How many? Yeah, it's 50-something. Anyways, they got lots of players. Everybody has a part. Get off the bench. Get in the game. Don't say, I don't have the capability. Yes, you do. Or God's a liar. Because his Holy Spirit either isn't in you, (coughs) or he's lying and he's not able to instruct you. You're th- that much of a, a dull person. Now, I don't mean it to be rude, but that's straight up. God said he's going to give you the Holy Spirit to seal you and teach you, to indwell you, to instruct you. But you have to be teachable. You have to be teachable. First Timothy chapter 3, I'm going to close with this part. 1 Timothy 3 has the qualifications for a bishop, an overseer. And he has to be the man of one wife, and he has to be all these things. But you know one of the qualifications for that bishop? Many times we read it, I think in the King James it says, he has to be able to <coughs> teach. That's a bad, bad translation. Actually, in the Greek, it would be better translated, he has to be teachable. He has to be teachable. 
He's not arrogant. He's humble. He has to be. Listen, if I ever feel like I've got it all, it just shows how much I haven't got. Because now who's the source of all my truth? Me. we got a problem. I ought to always want to be in the process of being discipled. And if not by somebody on the earth, by making sure that I'm humble before the Holy Spirit to instruct me and guide me. And never think that I've got it all. I'm continually challenged in my theologies. I want to be. I'm not saying I want to be like wishy-washy in the waves of the sea. I'm just saying I want to be taught by, the, by he who has theology down pat. That's God. I mean, if anybody's got theology down pat, it's theos. Kind of makes sense, right? So, how's your prayer life? How would you describe the quality of your prayer life? More importantly, how would God describe it? Are you experiencing an answered prayer in your life? If not, there's a disconnect. God promised you. I mean, this is a promise. I'm not doing the name and claim it thing. A little bit I am. But God promised that he'd answer your what? Jesus said he'd answer your prayer. That means if you're praying and it's not being answered, that's what? You're not asking according to the things that he desires for you. You're asking according to your own desires. And that's a factor whether you're in the word. And understanding what his will would be. And then finally, do you sense the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you, are you being taught? When you go to his word, is, is he revealing things to you? Do you sense his prodding to, to share God's good news with, with people that you come in contact with? Jesus made some incredible, fantastic promises to us. And those are things that we need to be able to stand upon, to rest upon. And I want to sing that song, 410, Standing on the Promises of God. And uh, I always love the old joke. It's better to stand upon the promises than what? Sin on the premises. That's exactly right. And there's too many people sitting on the premises and not standing on the promises. And so let's turn to 410, standing on the promises of God.